0: When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The feed hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com.
2: Welcome
0: to Maximize Your Hunt,
1: I'm John Teeter with Whitetail Landscape. This is Maximize Your Hunt. Happy to have everybody back. And uh, we got a good podcast today. Rocky Burris is back from SA Farm Management. We've got Perry Batten from Drury Outdoors. And we don't really have an agenda. We're going to talk about some things that are going on in each one of their, their lives and, you know, what they're dealing with. But we do have a big announcement. Rocky killed the phenomenal deer. I don't know exactly what it scored, but it was I think in the 150s, Rocky, from what what I remember. And I think, you know, you have a unique story about killing this deer, and I think it's important. And this deer was killed in velvet, so Tennessee early season velvet. And then we'll talk a little bit about what Perry's got going on in the jury farm and, and some of the difficulties and opportunity because his season's right around the corner here. So welcome aboard, guys. How how you doing?
2: Doing good, man. Doing good.
1: Good, good. Perry, doing good as well. So this is the first time I've done a three way call, so I uh we'll see how this this goes down. All right, Rocky, let's start with you. Let's talk a little bit about you know your recent events, the deer that you killed. I know you've been working on farms too and helping your clients out, but let's talk about let's talk about this deer that you killed because it, it was a phenomenal buck.
2: yeah um i I don't really uh score any of my deer. I just kind of I'm always about age. that's just kind of something that I personally focus on, and and it, it's all I, I personally want. Everybody asks me what a deer scores and stuff, so uh, I just kind of leave it as it is because I don't want to take away from that hunt. So um, as far as the deer itself, I mean, I've, I've been, a lot of people have, you know, talked to me, even close friends and stuff, and they know how obsessed I am with cameras and know that I've got... <laughs> 200 plus cameras out all over just trying to pattern deer. And, and I predict, I send them text saying uh, so-and-so should show up this night. Showing and, and a lot of times we can get it right and a lot of times we don't. But they all just assumed, a lot of people were just kind of talking to me. That, they're like, oh, how long, I guess you've been following that buck all summer. And, you know, they make it think that, you know, the cameras basically killed the deer. So I, I tell them that I only have three pictures of him and, and that, those were all in a series, people are kind of shocked, so, but it happened, you know, I get asked all the time, when, when you're going to hunt, you know, where, where are you going to hunt opening day, where are you going to hunt this, and I'm like, oh, I don't know, uh, just, I have ideas to go where I'm going to hunt from the data I've collected so far, but as far as, I let the cameras sometimes tell me when I need to change my plans, so, with this deer, I uh, didn't really know he was around until we got three photos one day at like twelve o'clock noon, and it and it told me a whole lot. And it was the first cool snap. I mean, it, it was only about a fifteen degree cooler day, but you know, for the summer pattern deer, I mean, that's that's pretty cool. So they can travel just a little bit extra, and it got him caught. I I built like a trap that I always talk about. I built an area that was in a pinch point already, and there was ways that if you just stuck a camera in that area, deer could get by. So I did some extra habitat manipulation and basically pulled deer from the field through this area, and then if they were to skirt the field scent checking it, they would come through this area and all run through that camera. So when I got his picture with, like, three other bucks, um, of course being a 12 point, you know, it kind of gets your attention because Tennessee is known for eight points. So, uh, I got, I got excited, but that just having those pictures at 12 o'clock, that really was, uh, something that told me a lot about that deer. And, uh, I guess that's maybe watching deer so much because I knew that he was bedding in that area fairly close, but it, but he might've moved a little more than normal because of that cool temperature. So, uh I had to think about water because of the summer, you know, uh, during the summertime deer like to bed, it seems like the bigger deer always bed, you know, 75, 80 yards away from those water sources, especially when it's been dry and it had been. So I just really kind of honed down on where I thought they would any points or anything. It was kind of going towards a little river area. And I had a, a long bean field that was skirting that deal. So I, I knew that uh, if I got his picture right then, that about two weeks before that hunt, I knew that there was a chance that he was within that field um, at, at times. So we, we got the right wind, and I didn't even have a stand, uh, no stand, no anything for that deer. I just went in and basically turkey hunted him. I, I took my tripod and video camera and brushed in uh, a spot and sat in a swivel chair right behind the cover and had my camera poking over and film deer come out early. And that bachelor group, uh, the first three came out and then they stayed for like 20 minutes. There was a four-year-old in that group. And I thought for sure that was all I was going to have hit the field. And then the bigger buck and a, and another three year old came out. Like I said, another twenty minutes after those deer had, had basically told him he was safe. So it's a it was a a success, and it was one that people would never have planned for me. They were all like, well, you didn't even have a stand you you just brushed in. That's crazy. And so they were all just kind of shocked how that happened.
1: So you were you were on the ground.
2: Yeah, I hunted the ground. I, I'd kind of, uh, I'd only gone in there one other time to check the cameras, and I had a couple dummy cameras, you know, cameras that don't send pictures, and I um, checked those, and that one, it was about a week before the hunt, and I'd captured another 10-point in that area, so uh, I didn't even get the 12. So I was like, okay, so now I have at least two options of two really nice mature deer in this area. So I was playing my odds, you know, that it could have been the 10 pointer. It could have been the 12 that come out. It just happened to be the 12.
1: So if you can step us back. So again, the data, the intel that you got was sometime before you put the hunt together, right? I mean, you, you got the intel, then, then you made a decision and was, is that the case?
2: Yeah, I, I had, I had set it up months before just anticipating, uh some mature deer being in that bed area and and i didn't get a picture to confirm anything until two weeks before that hunt and then i let and i'd already had cameras in when i set it up so there was a camera a couple just only a couple more cell cam or trail cameras that were normal um that had been in there for about a month and Literally only had one more series of that ten point walking out in the daylight, but it was the week before the hunt, so I I had the twelve and that ten in that field in my uh, you know by trail camera at least in the last two weeks. So I had figured with it being a midday picture, they were bedded pretty close so i I felt like that the bedding area was being used by a couple mature bucks and you know they can travel two to three miles a day you know i don't know you know during the summer it was pretty hot at that time so that one little cool snap is when i caught that bigger deer so i really felt like you know they were bedding and just staying real tight to that water and food and cover and then when they finally ventured out enough I was I caught their picture on that day. So I just really just felt like he was living in that bedding area during the summer and just kinda staying tight to right there and just not moving a lot uh more than he needed to. So I felt like that was his core area and with it being a core area on well, midday movement like that, that's you know, that's fifty to seventy five acres. So if, you know, 75% of his movement's going to be in that area, I'm, I'm going to try to slip in and hunt it. So I didn't risk putting a stand up or anything. I just wanted to play the wind perfect and get in there and brush in at the right spot. I had eyeballed a couple spots to, to brush in and ended up going into one of them I'd already kind of picked out when I checked the cameras that week before.
1: So the day that you killed the deer, can you kind of break down what were the considerations of making that decision? I'm assuming it was an evening hunt.
2: Yes, it was. It was the evening, uh, the very first evening. We have a three day hunt in Tennessee, uh, the end of August, and it's it's a uh, I'm in a CWD area, so you can actually carry your rifle, and it's not just bow. So um, I knew I could play off and carry my rifle in there and play off that. Uh, area and not try to get too tight, um, and the wind was going to be marginal, but it was good for my access, so I just felt like uh, even though it was the first day, and in in that Sunday was actually going to be a front coming in, so I felt like it was a day or two before the front, and we had those east winds, uh, no, actually, we had southwest wind, which was your, your common winds, but I, I could slip really close to that bedding area and have a marginal win for me and it would be perfect for them to scent check the field as they approached and believe it or not i had another trap on the they walked right under my camera uh they walked right through the trap and when i shot him he ran right back through my trap under the camera so i have all those pictures i'm gonna try to build something but uh to share with everybody but it was pretty cool to to basically funnel them out of that bedding area straight into the bean field so that I could hunt where I wanted to hunt and see the most and have my wind just barely kicking off that trap. And it it worked perfectly because, I mean, if there was a deer downwind of me, of course he didn't come out. But uh, they were all in the bedding area that they were supposed to be in.
1: That's great. I mean, that's a great story and, and great success. And the decision to go after a deer, obviously you've got a limited window. You've got some things in your favor. Obviously the rifle was beneficial, marginal wins, but of course, you know, you can get away with certain things at certain times based on, you know, the conditions and it kind of all played in your, your hand of, of that success and a heck of a deer. And, you know, whether I give you a rough score, you know, with that deer, I guess it doesn't matter. Um, that was it incredible deer certainly incredible deer for your area it sounds like you had a few mature bucks and that you were interested in. and and of course that's that's nice to have options of course you know for, for anybody for that matter so Perry um, I want to talk a little bit with you and we'll kind of you know right now it's a uh, data Intel uh, you know focus a lot of people you know your seasons coming up this week and you know your Missouri season um, is coming up this week and I believe you know, you guys are collecting probably a ton of intel and starting to analyze that intel and starting to make some decisions on deer that you're going to go after, early season, et cetera. Uh, can you kind of explain to me, you know, what your plan of action is and, and what you're going to do? Did I say Missouri or Iowa? I'm trying to... What did I just...
0: Yeah, you're you're correct. Uh, <laughs> Thursday, the, the 15th, is Missouri's opener. Okay. Uh, Iowa's October 1st, among a lot of other states. But uh, yeah, right now we are... Uh, got a lot of cell cams rolling looking at who's using what green source at the moment. And we're kind of in a, a weird transition spot right now. when the beans are starting to defoliate. And normally we're like, okay, great because we have green fields planted and looking good. And you know, all the deer make that transition about when we need them to, to uh, harvest them right around that opening week or opening second week. So, the current situation is we're doing all of those things, but we've had such a drought here in the Midwest and in, in this particular area that our green fields are not. I mean, they're they're a half inch out of the ground. They're sitting there needing rain, something fierce. So, it's uh we've replanted would be the third time now um, in front of rains that were predicted inch and a half and better, and and we've gotten two tenths. This last rain we just replanted oats rye uh, Trigicale, uh, to, to just get something green quick. Yeah. And, uh, we were predicted an inch and a quarter and we got a half inch and we're so dry that that half inch just, I hope it germinates them and we get a little green sprout out there, but, uh, I, I don't know if it's going to happen. So,
1: so are you, geez, I don't, you know, what, what do you do in these situations? What, what All right. So what is your what is your mode of operation at this point? Are you are you continuing to what? gloss the fields with uh, those big, you know, 5,000-gallon gall- uh, uh, water tubs that you're, you're spraying? <laughs> like, what are you doing? Yeah,
0: so, so you know, it takes – this is a crazy number that I didn't even believe when I started working here, but it takes 27,000 gallons of water to, to equal an, an inch of rain on one acre. So when you break that down, most of our green fields are around a half acre – So, we have a 1,600-gallon water tank bolted to a trailer with a two-inch pump. And so, we're drawing out of ponds. And uh, we're only watering about four or five key plots. And when I say key plots, I mean plots that we have big, mature deer that we're going to try and target. So, we want those green fields in place. But it takes eight loads a day to get about a half-inch of rain to equal out. So... I mean, it's it's an all-day process to get to get eight loads. And then uh, here, and probably after tomorrow, we're buttoning up some blind work and getting some uh, more cameras out. But uh, after that, we're probably going to run two water shifts a day, meaning I'll water in the morning and wait to water it in the evening into the night, and then we'll flip-flop the next day. So we're just going to try and get as many plots uh, green as we can. So...
1: I got so the question I have is so and I don't know if you're you're thinking through this uh, at this point and maybe you know maybe you and Mark and and Wade have talked do you think based upon you know you've got these really concentrated areas of food now do you think that will potentially push off certain deer as a result of this you know deer kind of sucking into those areas because that's, that's more of a concentrated food source. Are you a bit worried because you usually have larger food sources on, on a larger landscape? Um, what, what do you think in there?
0: Um, I think it could go either way because everything else is so dry. We, we might have the only food source, if you will, the only good green source. So we might suck too many deer in and it could push others out or we're going to suck them all in because we're the only, uh, we're the only green in town, if you will.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to hear how that plays out specifically. I'm going to bounce back to Rocky for a second. So, Rocky, you know the Tennessee. I don't know if you've been short on rain in your area. Have you been pretty good, or what's going on with your weather?
2: We're pretty good. We we had that big drought early, and uh, we've been getting a, a pr- fairly amount of good rain here lately but um now i'm looking at the forecast and we're going on two weeks with nothing and i got some bare dirt on on my property myself but um most of our our uh sources you know we we talk to all the farmers and stuff and we're trying to we broadcast through the the crop and pay to keep stuff so i mean we're gonna have food it's just a matter of uh we're still green. You know, most of our bean fields were planted late because of that drought and stuff. And I mean, we're still green on a lot of my, my properties. So, uh, we're blessed in that deal. We don't really start till the end of August for Bo. So I mean, sorry, the end of, uh, yeah, August 26, I think we start. So we're, we're still got a little, got a little time.
1: Oh, you mean September twenty sixth, right? September September, 26. yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I keep thinking August, my bad.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you killed in August, so you're you're probably just yeah. still there. Uh, and I don't yep. I don't blame you. Uh, so this is interesting. I've got two clients and both those clients when they're dealing with draw I'm sure they both listen to this podcast, they have irrigation systems and they've built irrigation systems into their food plots, not pivots or anything like that, like straight irrigate irrigation systems like you have on a, a grass football field or soccer field, what have you. And uh, pretty pretty involved systems. And they're typically dealing with, you know, very segmented food plots, you know, basically line food plots that are are um, a lot of times are throw and grow or no-till. One's no-till, one's throw and grow. And, you know, they, they've been able to really do well in situations like this uh, when when there are drought. And, and just an option for you, if you do have a related water source, we talked about water source on a previous podcast, and we did bring you up, Perry, by the way, because you and I had been talking about your situation in Missouri and Iowa and just the problem with drought and, and the way you guys were handling it. And, and Todd Chippy was doing something similar to you. So I'm, I'm going to go back to Perry and I want to kind of break down. All right. So. Right now, you're in the inventory stage, I'm assuming. I'm guessing you guys are all going through the related deer on the landscape. You're making shoot-no-shoot decisions, probably with some of the bucks. Maybe you're considering doe harvest. You know, what are your next steps? What are your next actions that you're looking at from a harvest standpoint? Because I think a lot of people are thinking, what do the breweries do early season? Do they hammer out their does? Do they have a doe quota? Do they not have a doe issue on some of their farms and I'm assuming your deer populations have started to grow in some of the areas that you currently have. So I'm kind of interested.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, As far as the does uh, go, we picked up two new farms this year. So um, they're, they're packed full of does. I don't think the previous owners ever shot any, but uh, those will, those will be on the top of the list. As far as time of the year, we normally wait till, For Missouri, for rifle season, uh, we are part of the DMAP program that Missouri has. That's a a state program that helps landowners kind of increase tag opportunities if they need them per biologist looking um, at certain things and the general area and the deer density. So those tags open up for us during rifle And uh, we normally harvest all of our does in Missouri during that time. As far as Iowa goes, we normally wait till late season because when, when we talked on the previous podcast, you know, Wade and I shoot 30, 40 a year. And so when we're dealing with that many, you know, to do it in the summertime or early season, at least, it's just a lot of work and to make sure they get into a cooler. And, uh, you know, during late season, we can, gut them, just hang them in our shed and, and pretty much let them go. Cause here in Iowa, once it gets to the late season, we, uh, we get pretty, pretty cold and don't have to worry about temperature. So.
1: Interesting. All right. I'm going to, and thanks for that bit of intel. So I'm going to ask a question of both of you. And, uh, this is sparks a conversation that Rocky and I've had over the past couple of weeks. I'm in the hunt for new trail cameras. So any trail camera company listening to this right now, you can give me a call. I'd really appreciate some input. I've had trouble with some of the trail cameras that I've had, cellular cameras specifically. And I know Rocky, and I'll mention their name, Eye Cameras. You know, we've talked about them individually. We haven't brought them up on this podcast. I'm interested in hearing, you know, you run a ton of cameras. And Perry, the same question from you. You run a ton of cameras. Uh, and, And not to name names, but if you want to drop what you're using and why and what benefits, you know, you're seeing with the cameras that are available in the marketplace right now. You know, there's a lot out there right now, and I think you know, people kind of want to have some direction and they want to hear what you're using and why. So I'm I'm kind of interested in both your inputs on this. So Rocky, would you mind going first?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so I have probably four different brands of cell cameras out. Uh, but I do, I do prefer the, the wise eyes of, of now because of the, well, the price points a little better than most you're talking under $200 for a camera, um, and it'll – it's its just got unmatched data collection for me, and, and I'm kind of a freak about trying to pattern certain deer, and when I do pattern them, I want to know everything I can find on that deer. Uh, a lot of the patterning software that they have, um, they – they literally help you pattern, but that, you know, you kind of have to know what you're looking at. Um, so I, I keep trying to, one day maybe there'll be something out there that will help the average guy figure out what he's seeing. But as far as me being obsessed with it, I know what I'm seeing when I see the data. So they sell me on that big time. Cause, um, a lot of these places that we set up and hunt, um, you deer want to use these areas on a certain wind and you the hunter may think that your access and your spot is uh got to be this wind so i mean but if deer don't want to use that area but on a certain wind that's the wind you need to set up for and a lot of people only think about their wind and what their wind needs to be so that they can hunt that spot But if a deer only uses it on the northeast wind and you're hunting every southwest wind because that's the perfect for your blind or your your setup, you know, it has, you're you're hunting every day, he's not there. And then you're leaving your scent behind for when he does come back. So those cameras have unbelievable charting where they will actually chart the moon phases. They chart basically everything all these apps are doing. Uh, That camera will do it. To that cam, to the spot, to the location you have the camera sitting at. So that is a really big selling point for me. Uh, Full HD photos, everything that sends to you. If you have the big camera, it'll send HD videos to you. Um, Does burst up to five pictures. I mean, it's just their price point. If you're like me and you have forty-five of those cameras out, then you're gonna have. Uh, a price point of like seven dollars and something a month versus you know everybody's twelve fifteen dollars a camera uh, per month. so they really do try to 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 reach out and help the the guy, especially the guy that's like me that is gonna invest in a company and try to run a lot of cameras so, Um, just that being able to, they got an AI system that can detect and organize your photos and pull all your buck, your deer pictures over to one area and your raccoon and predator pictures over to one area and all your people, you know, it separates them all out. So you don't have to look at all those pictures. Uh, you can go, they've had a probably a 90 getting close to 90% success on trying to separate out with their artificial intelligence. So you can actually tag a certain buck, and, and every time you see him, you can name him and tag him. And every time you see him pop up, you tag him, tag him, tag him. And then you can go back and just view his charts alone. And that's what I, that's what really got me is because I can go back and say, I want to see, uh, towers i want to see what what wins towers likes and then there you are you got all of his charts and every time he's had a picture taken and you can filter it down to the two weeks out or you can filter it out for the whole season so you know as home ranges change and and different core areas change you know his you're going to be able to see all that stuff and it, it just they 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 do the best at that to me and these other cameras are great and i still use them but uh, as far as clarity and detection range, I mean we're talking they only advertise sixty sixty feet, but I've got proof of you know a hundred and fifty feet uh, in fields and stuff and and it happening over and over and over. so they've got unbelievable detection uh, and it's just the clarity when you get in the HD photo at that range, you can zoom in and actually see who it is. So yeah, they, they got a lot of good, a lot of good things for me.
1: Good, good. And I'm, I'm happy that we're pitching companies that we're using and people are familiar with and, and you've had good success with that particular company. Um, and I'd like to say that I'm interested in using those cameras as well. So I think that might be my next evolution of camera. And I appreciate the input on that. All right. So I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to flip over to Perry and I'm going to, I know what you guys are using, but I'm going to ask you Perry, what, what are you guys using and, um, you know, what, what type of Intel and information, uh, do do you like from the cameras that you're getting right now?
0: Yeah, for sure. That, that was interesting to hear that there, that, that those cameras are, um, giving you a moon phase and, and wind direction and all that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, we, uh, we're all deer cast and 14 day forecasts and all that, but that's interesting that a camera does that. Um, but uh, yeah, to get on trail cameras, we uh, we hear it on the Drury Farms all of Reconyx. Um, the biggest thing I can say about our Reconyx is like it, it's it's like a D6 D8 dozer. It just keeps on rolling, and uh, it never fails on you. Um, we there's cameras we put out to this day from when Mark bought them back in 2007, and they take as good a picture as the brand new ones that we unbox every year i mean you just you you get what you pay for there on the on the price point they're not cheap um but uh either you know it's kind of as you said you're having some issues with trail cameras you're currently running you know what did you pay 150 to 200 dollars, or you spend the money up front and have a camera last you from 2007 so it's just kind of what kind of investment you want to make but that's what we use. We have probably 80 to a hundred non-cell and then another 80, 90 cell. So we've, uh, we got a lot of eyeballs out there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was my next question. How many cameras are you running? So that, that's good. And that's across multiple farms. So let's be clear with everybody. It's that's not all on one single farm. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's two different states. And, Oh, six, pushing 25 farms.
1: Okay. Okay. All right. So let's, let's, let me step you back one little bit. So you get the data, you get the Intel. Uh, Some of them are obviously you're in transit to a stand and you you pick off the camera data. Some of them obviously are remote cellular cameras. Who's going through the data? How how do you, and and this is going to be a question for both of you, Uh, for you first, Perry, how do you collect and go through that data uh, we know how you collect it, but how do you analyze it specifically?
0: Yep. So I cannot. I was sitting here trying to remember the program that Mark has on his phone or his his laptop. Okay. Uh, I cannot remember the program, but it it has to do with Reconyx. It has an exact name that I will text you um, once I <laughs> once it comes to me. But uh, we upload all those cards and sell pictures into this program and each farm you can make a tab for name it and then all the way down from farm to blind to to individual buck you can uh, go through on this program and so all you do is go each year you know if we've got a buck we've had history with for three years and we're like okay when do we want to target him we just click back you know 2019 2020 2021 we can go to each tab and each farm that he was on, and then look at when he daylighted. Look at what plot he used the most and uh, per per each camera. So that's kind of how we break that down. As far as the cell pictures go, um, each year we normally just delegate a handful of farms, and then we have a shared album on our phones for me, Wade, and Mark to, uh, to upload pictures to uh, every morning that we wake up, so...
1: Yeah, and I think people are probably thinking that's pretty cool, right? It's a team kind of interest for all of you. You're all working together in you know synergistically to make decisions to go after deer. I mean, you know, and I'm sure right now, you know, it's you know the season just starting to amp up, so you're really kind of just preparing for. Well, although you need to do some work, which you said earlier with the food plots. I mean, you're you're really trying to start to make those decisions of what bucks meet your criteria this year. Do you have you personally, any specific buck that you're interested in killing this year? And, and do you have a plan you're putting together for a deer?
0: Uh, to be specific to one deer for myself? No. Um, honestly, Mark Mark's got a three, four picked out for himself specifically, but okay. you know, we go, we go through the season and uh, just whatever deer. And I really liked uh, what Rocky said earlier. Whatever deer is most mature and is daylighting that we have a shot at, we're going to go kill them. You know, it's not always about the score for, for any of us. You know, we want to kill six-and-a-half-year-old deer and older, and that's our key goal. And as we go through the season, certainly is there a few deer that we're like, oh, I'd really like to kill that one, or one we have just saw in velvet pictures? Certainly. But to just pick one out for myself, no. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, let me, let me add my flavor to this. So I have one specific deer I'm going after. So I hunt and I'll be a little more specific and, and I don't really care at this point. I've got a buck and I'll t- I'll just tell you my caliber deer. I have a buck that's a three and a half year old in the one thirties. He was a hundred and something inch deer last year. He's the one thirties this year. He's my four and a half year old buck for next year. There's one deer next year that I, I hope to go after Um, I've got a four and a half year old buck. He's in, he's about 110 inches. He's not a huge buck, but he's a buck that's, you know, he's got a damaged eye. He's a, he's a shooter. He's a shooter for me. It's a deer that I want to kill. Uh, But I've got a larger deer, my number one deer that's, I have got a 10% chance of killing this deer. I just want to describe to you guys a little bit. I've got to climb up an elevation of 700 feet and to access an area to kill this deer. Uh, It's on top of a hillside. This isn't on my property. This is on top of a hillside. And I've been just starting to break down his movements to kill him. I've I've got one shot, and the wind's going to be really, really wrong to go after this deer. So I'm going to have to hunt him and sit all day. It's going to be an all-day early season sit to kill this deer, hoping he comes into a bedding area. And I hope there's a wind shift to, in order to kill him. So that that's a level of detail I'm getting into just to kill this one specific deer in an area. Um, unfortunately, I don't have the numbers of deer to to go after. And I think that deer's a five-year-old, by the way. So that's... That's kind of my season right now in a nutshell and i I want to share that with everybody just to recognize the difficulty and the intricacies that are going to go into this hunt to kill this deer. Right now, I don't have enough Intel and I think it at a, at a rate of maybe 10 percent. The other deer is probably 90 percent. the deer that's about 105 inches I, I'm about a 90 percent kill rate on him. and the other deer, I'm about 75 percent I could kill him, but again, I'm going to give him a pass as a three and a half year old in my area. I think he's got a 50-50 shot as a two and a half year old. He didn't get killed. And he's a mainframe 10-pointer. So really, you know, just to share with everybody, that's I, I want to be open and honest. That's where I'm I'm at for my season. And, and and that's why, you know, I don't have super high hopes, but I'm I'm just gonna enjoy the season. And if a, a Rando, you know, mobile buck shows up and he's of good quality, he's getting whacked. Uh and that's you know, and that's a four and a half-year-old. That would be pretty much my criteria, at least in my area. All right, Rocky, I'm gonna swing back to you. So what's, what's the season ahead like for you? What, what are your next steps?
2: Um, basically I'm a little bit smaller scale than they are, but they, uh, they hunt a lot like I do. It seems like, um, you know, I, am I'm, I'm trying to spread as many fingers as I can out. I've, I've got 13 properties that I manage and hunt. Um, and see, I, I think that's where a lot of your your listeners are are probably going to be like, okay, these guys are doing it on a different level as far as what we do, because. But I mean, we're we're all doing it. I used to do it for TV, and then I used to, so it kind of got me into the, the habit of. You really had to try to figure out how to harvest deer that were worse harvesting, but. You know, so you had to figure out the game and when you have just like one property, you go into one or two or maybe three properties, just it kinda limits you to your success like you were saying. I mean you're gonna you feel like okay, you got ten percent here and you know, all these different deals where I, I'm more I don't really have a I have a certain amount of deer that they slipped me last year and I got a personal attachment to that. But uh, I do just like what he's saying. I, I literally go back and I build files on my computer of each farm. And when I run the cameras, I, I grab all the buck pictures and put them on those files. And then when I go to season, I'll back up one season and pull up those cameras. And I'll literally go to that farm and I'll look at every buck picture at night. And I'll every daylight picture, I'll visually say, there he is in the daylight, what's the date, when was what time of day was it? And it'll tell me a lot. And then if you go and and hunt those daylight pictures, those deer will normally it doesn't happen all the time. but if you really pay attention to the last year's daylight, like I like to hunt last year's pictures. And if you get daylight pictures last year, you got a really good chance that he could come back. And visit at the same time of year and daylight the same time. So when you when you learn that, and you have that many fingers out, like he's saying, I mean sometimes they've only daylight one to two days and they're done, or they might only be on the farm two to five days and they're done. And that that was their that was your chance. So that's where these cell cameras kind of help. You got that many fingers, and and I'm just you know, the weather and the fronts and everything. If everything lines up for a certain farm and a certain deer, that's where I'm going. And, and i let all those different things predict where I go. So uh, it's not necessarily a, a certain buck. Um, it, and I'm I'm trying to lean towards five-year-olds. I've, you know, uh, I, we don't normally see sixes. I mean, we will but we're also hunting Tennessee, so, I mean, I, I, I let deer. I mean, we killed a 10-and-a-half-year-old last year off one of my farms, so, I mean, we they do get old, but, um, you know, it's taken a lot of years for me to be able to say that I can hunt five-year-olds. I mean, it used to be if he was three-and-a-half, you better you better hunt him because you're not going to see but maybe two of those a year or three of those. But now, and then it was four-and-a-half, and now I'm personally – Jump to five and a half myself so uh, a lot of my farms are four and a half or older but uh, that's kind of what we're what we're doing for this year
1: yeah and i think that's good i mean i think everyone it's good to be honest to where you're at i mean it's region specific and we're not talking we have massive acres to hunt off of i mean the the farms that i'm talking about that i'm hunting are pretty small you know 50 acres 60 acres and you know some nobody's managing deer around me at all so i'm still back into the most of the 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 landowners adjacent to the areas that I hunt, you know, a three and a half year old is is world class, and it's world class for them. And you know, as you step up and you kind of mature in this thing, you start to realize, you know, what drives your interest and what expectations you have in the landscape. So I think it's for everyone just be realistic. And you know, I think what I've gotten out of this conversation is one, data collection is key. Two, breaking down that data in a usable format, right? So it's it's understandable and then three having mm-hmm. a plan and then all the preparatory work that's gone up to this point you know Perry talking about watering fields and trying to maximize food plot value in key locations based on historical data where deer you know reside Rocky's talking about his kill you know how he got that done early season with the data intel and his path forward and you know re- reconciling the fact that you know, you've got some some deer on the landscape that you can go after the rest of the season you know, I think with everybody, you have to have the approach that, you know, this style is going to be unique to you. I've got people that I work with, uh, you know, my clients, they don't want to use trail cameras. Um, I actually have properties that I hunt now that I don't put any trail cameras on and I just go old school. I've got enough observation data on those to know when, what deer typically do, but I don't have any intel. And I enjoy those type of hunts when I get a chance to go on those properties because it's it's almost like Christmas morning. You, you just don't know what you're going to get, and that that's good for me. And, and choosing kind of that woodsman type experience to go after a deer. Those are completely different setups and styles and, and properties that are completely designed to hunt where, you know, I've got the Intel, the deer have to go through this trap, like Bucky bucks, you know, Rocky said earlier, this buck trap that I have laid out or deer trap that I have laid out. And it's, it's orchestrated the deer are more efficient and how they move through the landscape. So, you know, you've got to think about your style, what your interest is, you know, how much you're willing to invest in hunting and, and how to collect data Intel and, and the whole nine. So I appreciate you, both being on. Is there anything either one of you want to end with? We're kind of at the end of the the session, so I I kind of want to leave the floor open to either one of you.
2: I was going to ask even uh, what about – I know you guys are going through a drought, and, I mean, what – do you guys have water sources in mind? I know, you know, know, deer drinking four quarts a day and bedding mature deer, you know, seem to always want to bed near – those, uh, water sources. And especially I would think in a drought, you know, 80 yards or so. I mean, do y'all have that in mind? I would, I would think, you know, just in my, my setups, I would think that was where I would have to shift to, but I was just kind of wondering what y'all were doing.
0: It's funny you bring that up today. Actually, uh, Wade was, Wade was down in Missouri. We bought some 150 gallon, uh, just poly or plastic troughs for like cattle and yeah. uh, put a 300 gallon tank in a bed of a truck, and on some of our green fields, right next to where the deer would come to feed on the green if it was there, we're putting these 150 gallon uh, water trough deals and uh, filling them up. So, that for sure. And then, anytime we design a plot, if there's any possible way we either have a piece of equipment there, we always try to put in a water hole. So, a lot of them have, you know, man made water holes by them because you know we like to have everything in one spot and that's including water
2: yeah that's that's what i figured i just wanted i think people might would want to hear something like that because i mean it's definitely what we've talked about on other podcasts is how you really you know when you set up a spot you just want to provide everything you can possibly put into one area because you're going to you're going to put yourself into that area. So sure, <laughs> it makes yeah. sense, you know? Yeah.
0: yeah that's uh, kind of some of the strategies for, for the drought and water we're doing right now. And if it continues, we'll buy more of those and, and put them in Iowa, but hopefully there's a few rain chances popping up. I really hope we get them because it's going to make my life a little easier. And, and I really am worried about EHD. I hate to say that, but uh, as dry as we are, it's, it's, it could be really bad this year.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, that's a concern. You guys are going to have to deal with, unfortunately, or hopefully not. I'm I'm sorry that that yeah. even has to come up in this conversation. So
2: yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. All
1: right, guys, um, we're at the end of our time today. I appreciate you both taking time out of your schedule. Um, Rocky, thanks for sharing your your buck story and incredible deer. Perry, I wish you well. Um, we probably won't check in with you guys for a little while. We've got a kind of a hunting Steve Shirk and I are going to do uh, some of the top guys in the country. We're going to go through their process of, of hunting and then probably a month of that. And we'll have you guys back on and checking with you and checking with your seasons and maybe break down some of your strategies going into the rut. So I, I think that will be our next, our next uh, podcast that I have with both of you guys. So I wish you both well. And thanks for, uh, thanks for showing up today. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. you no Yeah. I hope you guys have a good season to start out and look forward to hearing from you again. All
2: right. Talk yeah, soon, you guys. You bet. All right, Bye, man. Good so, luck. See you Bye. guys.
0: Bye. Maximize Your Hunt is a production of Whitetail Landscapes. For more information on how John Teeter and his team of experts can help you maximize your hunt, check out Whitetaillandscapes.com.